Well, Mother's Day is supposed to be a day where mothers feel appreciated, and it's a day where, where we buy a lot of Mother's Day cards. Thank you, Deb, for those Mother's Day cards. Our Hallmark representative sitting over here. But sometimes it's a better day for making mothers feel completely inadequate. So today, this is a message for all the women who feel beaten down by the Proverbs 31 woman. You know the Proverbs 31 woman if you've grown up in church. She pops up every Mother's Day in many churches around the country. And uh, she just taunts moms, reminding them of all that they will never be. Even though you pour your heart and soul into the lives of your kids. How many moms feel kind of like this? At a parent-teacher conference, teacher... She's really doing great. Keep doing whatever you're doing, me, internally. So, chicken nuggets, unlimited screen time, and constantly doubting myself, done. That's the life of a parent right there. Some call it mom guilt. I can't believe my kids have had so much screen time lately. I'm such a bad mother. I should not have lost my temper with my kid. I'm not fit to be a mother. My kids don't eat enough vegetables. I'm failing as a parent. I couldn't breastfeed my baby exclusively for 12 months, so I'm not a good mom. My child fell and got hurt. It's it's all my fault. I should have been there. I'm always working and don't spend enough time with my children. What kind of mother am I? Mom guilt. If you're a mom, there's a 99% chance you have mom guilt. Now, let's be real. There's a 100% chance you have mom guilt. Guilt sells. You make someone feel bad enough about themselves, you can sell them anything. You can get them to do anything. Get them to walk an aisle in a church. Or get them to write a check to the church. Guilt sells. Guilt works. That's our topic in this series. We don't want to operate by guilt because we don't think that's how Jesus operates. So in this series, we're asking, what if Christians were Christian? And today, for Mother's Day, what I want us to do is to, if we were really acting like Christians, like Christ, we would be affirming our worth. And that would be more important than condemning our brokenness. And we would see ourselves as inherently good instead of inherently bad. I was raised being taught that I was inherently bad. The theology of that is called original sin. Original sin basically says that Adam sinned and screwed it up for the rest of us. We inherited Adam's sin according to the theology, the doctrine of original sin. And when we inherited Adam's sin, not just the sin, but the sinful nature And when we inherited that sinful nature, we were just evil. And every baby that is born is guilty and has that sinful nature. And there is absolutely no way that a human being can ever do good because of that doctrine that teaches of original sin. Both Catholic and Protestant groups teach that to some degree Lutherans in their doctrinal statements say in regard to original sin that it means the 
entire absence of all good. It's a deep, wicked, horrible corruption of the entire nature. Methodists say that it is that we are inclined to do evil continually. The Reformed Church or the Presbyterian Church says that it means that we are made the opposite unto all that is spiritually good. Southern Baptist, the denomination of my youth, says that original sin is whereby Adam's posterity inherits or we inherit a nature that is sinful and an environment that is inclined toward sin. So the teaching is that we are guilty from birth. And that's why many denominations baptize babies, because there's a view that that baby is guilty. And they, parents, the church uh, leadership, they don't want that baby to die. And because they're guilty, go to hell. So many churches and many parents will practice that baptism of babies. So the original sin teaches that what is deepest in us is opposed to God rather than of God. Original sin, there's no way that you could ever do good. Now, logically, if you think about that, it does break down because we know a lot of people who would not consider themselves spiritual or religious who do some good. And they are sometimes inclined to good. So logically, it does break down. But it's, it, it's a theology and a way of thinking that is deeply embedded in some of us because of how we were raised. The doctrine of original sin was not just communicated through sermons, but also through song. My dad's favorite song was, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. And uh, so when I think about that song, I have a sentimental attachment to it. And I've discovered, I don't know about you, I've discovered that a lot of the songs that I like and that mean something to me, I don't really know what they say. I just know that I've got a sentimental attachment to the tune and to some experience that surrounds that song. And that's how a lot of us are wired. And that's nothing wrong with that. That's a very powerful uh, element of music. But although I have a sentimental attachment to that song, I cringe when I think of the theology of that song. And I read the lyrics of that song. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm? As I? Would Jesus voluntarily die on a cross for a worm like me? Oh. I love the song only because Dad loved the song. And we'd sing that growing up every time we had the Lord's Supper. But the theology bothers me. We call it worm theology. For such a worm as I. In the late 90s, I'd already left the Baptist church and in a non-denominational church, but the church used to sing this a lot. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And guess who the wretch is? 
Well, according to this theology, it's every one of us. Well, call yourself a wretch. Don't be calling me a wretch. (laughs) Worm theology. I'm nothing but a wretched worm. Now, the danger of worm theology is that there is a direct correlation between what I think and what I do. Same with you. So if my theology is I'm nothing but a wretched worm, then I'm going to act like a wretched worm. So most Sundays and most Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, uh, when I would go to church, we were taught this theology of original sin, worm theology. Now a heavy dose and a heavy diet a worm theology, that you are unworthy of God's love, that you are undeserving of God's love, that'll do a number on your self-esteem. And if I'm unworthy of God's love, if I don't deserve that, there's nothing in me that God would ever like. You worm. Then I have a hard time thinking anybody could love me. And so we've raised generation upon generation of people who are battling with insecurity and self-esteem and guilt. Guilt. A sense of unworthiness. And therein is our transition to parenthood. Because so many of us parents feel so guilty about how we have raised our kids. Amy Schumer, speaking of her son, being his mom is heaven on earth and also means a constant feeling of guilt and vulnerability that I will never get used to. Then Amy gives us an example. She and her husband, Chris Fisher, named their son, Gene Attell, after the stand-up comedian, Dave Attell. Then someone on the Internet pointed out what that baby's name sounds like. I won't even say it. You can figure it out. I know it. It's going through the group. This side over here is a little bit slow. Yeah, you get it. Now, talk about that over lunch today. Write, write it down. Gina Tell. So... Amy goes, I was like, oh, my God, it never dawned on me. All the blood rushed to my head, and I was like, Chris. So they changed their baby's name. (laughs) She says, it's the first of many failures. Well, I don't think we messed up, Nisi, on Daniel and Devin's name. But. But. Mom guilt. So, what better person to talk about mom guilt than the mom of our boys? So, Denise, come on up. You can talk to us. It's good to see you. Great to be here. So, so what do you want to? Yeah, what do you want to tell us about your mom? You're including me in that, huh? Yeah. Mom and dad guilt. I can't take this all by myself. I think you're right about that. 
Do you think you take it more deeply than I? I cry more about it, probably. <laughs> you cry more than I? That's a lot of crier. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this since the boys, uh, well, all their lives. But uh, what story or what event in Daniel and Devin's life really does stand there out to many, you? but there's one in particular. I don't know if your microphone's on. Thank you, Joey. Mm -hmm. That is much better. <laughs> so, I, the one story, I, I'm just going to tell one story. There are very many, but one story of mom guilt is uh, when Devin was in middle school. He is our youngest son. We have two boys, Daniel and Devin. And when Devin was in middle school, I had the hardest time getting him to clean his room or do any of the chores around the house that you try to get your kids to do. And um, I would tell him to go up and clean his room, and I'd go in there, and he'd be laying on the floor playing Legos or something <laughs> silly like that and have him dust the family room and he'd be in there playing Nintendo and so just could not motivate him to clean his room and um, he went for his yearly physical and um, the doctor informed us that he had Graves disease which is uh, extreme fatigue and um, so of course you know all these months and months of him not doing anything, doing his responsibilities around the house, any good Christian parent would tell their son to get out his Bible and um, <laughs> read all those verses, find all those verses on laziness, you know, and uh, you need to get some memorization in there for lazy verses, you know. Because the yeah. Bible solves everything, right? Yes, yes, yes. And so, guilt, guilt in the Bible. That was my solution for his laziness, not knowing that his uh, laziness was really just extreme fatigue. And the doctor described it to us as, uh, look at the fact of if he got up to play a tennis match, um, he feels like he has already played the match by the time he just gets up there to stand and begin to play the match. So um, that has been probably my <laughs> number one uh, mom guilt that I feel, of course, um, <laughs> and dad guilt. You know, we, uh, when we found out really that there was a reason behind Devin's not uh, cleaning his room and not doing chores around the house, when we realized what that was all about, of course we asked his forgiveness and he um, gave it to us, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I was going to cry. We still wrestle I know, with it. I know. You know, 20 years ago we faced that for 20 years and... Um, of course, Devin is such a sweet um, son and very forgiving, and I think there's a picture. Yeah, he's turned out pretty good. Yeah, he turned out pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. But you don't have to leave. I, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to see a blubbering mother. <laughs> well, they see a blubbering dad every Sunday. Thank you, dear. Yeah. It was hard, wasn't it? Yeah. So some, I guess if I would have any encouragement for a mom, is would be probably just 
if your child isn't doing what you think, maybe try other alternatives and get physical help, emotional help, things like that for your child. Rule out all the other possibilities. Of, um, we were raised that if you weren't behaving correctly, then it was a spiritual problem. We never even thought about it being a physical or, in some cases, a, a mental no. problem. So, yeah, it's sad. You can just take that with you. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you, Nisi, very much. We put Devin and, and Kylie's picture up here, just in case some of you uh, don't know Devin and uh, have no idea who it is that we're even talking about. Uh, it is hard, and we still beat ourselves up over that because we put so much shame on Devin, and we made him feel guilty that he wasn't living up to our standards when uh, all along it wasn't a heart problem. It was his thyroid, and uh, it just we just beat ourselves up over that guilt of pressuring him and not being more... Uh, responsive and uh, comprehensive in his, in his care. So what I want us to think about, and I don't have a solution to mom guilt except uh, forgiving ourselves and asking our children to forgive us and learning from it. But what I do want us to focus on today is this. In your distress, God sees you, mom and dad and whoever. One of the names for God in the Hebrew Scripture is El Roy, R-O-I, which means you are the God who sees. Interestingly, we are introduced to that name in the story of a mother who is under distress. The mother's name is Hagar. And uh, she is treated unjustly and unfairly, terribly by the father of her son, and the father of her son is Abraham. And in this story, God sees Hagar, and when God sees her and responds to her in care and in help, then Hagar sees herself through the eyes of God. And she calls God and she says about God, I have seen him who sees me. And he gives, she gives her son the name of Ishmael. You are the God who sees is what that name means. Now, when we are in distress for whatever reason, whether it's parent guilt or just stress as a, as a parent of any kind, I think that one thing that helps me through this process of dealing with the mistakes we made with Devin and with Daniel is that God sees us. And when I see that God sees me, in my distress over my mistakes, I am moved then to see what God sees. And this is what I mean by this. A parent with mom guilt will see 
him or herself or themselves as worms. That's how I was taught. Uh, Incapable, uh, not good, uh, not able, unworthy, just probably just a big loser. And when you're told again and again that you're unworthy, you just can't help but look at yourself as a loser, unworthy of doing anything. But when God sees us, God sees our worth and our goodness and our capability of loving, our true identity. So one thing that's helping Denise and me deal with the mom guilt and I'm 65, will be 66 in a month, and Nisi is that old, <laughs> that age, whatever age she wants to be, and, uh, and we still battle with the guilt, and it's not until I intentionally see myself as God sees me, and when God sees me, God sees you are worthy, You deserve love, and you are good. Do you make mistakes? Yes. But your heart is good. In the depth of your being, you are good. And that changes how I feel about myself, and it changes how I uh, express myself to other people. So today, I want to tell you that if you are loving your children, then you are doing very well. If you are letting them discover who they are, you're doing a great job. If you are letting them discover who God made them, who love made them, and and how to hear God, and how to listen to God, and how God is speaking to them, then you are doing a really good job with your child. If you're not trying to change your child into your particular image, like I tried to do with Devin and Daniel... You're really doing a good job. There are so many mistakes that we make. This mom, bottle feeding instead of breastfeeding, but still a good mom. This mom just taking care of the baby while the laundry's piling up, a messy room, still a good mom. This dad, dads can be the best moms. Beyond gender, doesn't matter what gender a person is, it's what's in the heart and how that heart expresses. Still a good mom, trying to let the baby cry him or herself to sleep. Just pause. Still a good mom. Your kids don't want a perfect mom. They just want a happy mom. So see yourself as God sees you. Tell yourself, I am a good parent because I really do love my child. And I forgive myself for the mistakes I made. I'm learning. 
and I'll ask my child to forgive me and I'll be a better parent. Tell yourself, I am worthy. I am loved and I am lovable. It's not hard for God to love me. God looks at me and loves me and out of that love that God sees, I am able to love myself. I am capable of love. So give yourself a present for Mother's Day. I like this four-year-old came to mom. Can I have some of your candy? I got this for Mother's Day. Well, you're only a mom because of me. <laughs> yeah. Moms, give yourself a present of love. Give yourself a present of knowing you're worthy. And you're a good person. When we believe that we're a good person, when I believe I'm a good person, I have a tendency to act more like a good person. Yeah. 